there's this other kind of a problem of evil, and that's the kind that you're expressing there, I think. It's yeah. more connected to that kind. Mm -hmm. And it's called the evidential problem of evil, or sometimes the probabilistic version of the prob problem of evil. Mm -hmm. And in this kind of argument, an atheist might say, well, okay, it might not be logically incompatible to believe that God exists mm -hmm. and evil exists, mm -hmm. but it is just unlikely. It's probably not true that God exists, mm. given the level and quality of evil in the world, mm. like given how much evil there is, mm. and the kind of evil and suffering that exists, God's existence is just unlikely. That's what an, an atheist might respond in that way, and that's a, a different kind of argument. You're not saying that the existence of evil and God are logically incompatible. Mm. You are saying that the kind of evil and the amount of evil is just of the kind of degree, such a degree that God's existence is improbable. Yeah. Uh, so, in those kinds of examples, you know, why does Bambi die in a forest fire? Children who are born with birth defects, or yeah. uh, kids who, infants who die, mm -hmm. uh, and doesn't seem to be any purpose or meaning in their death and suffering. Uh, and uh, that's that, that is a deep question. And as, as I said at the beginning, you know, this is the most formidable objection to Christian theism is the problem of evil. It's not a simple problem. So while I think it's important that we are able to analyze it philosophically and able to kind of break it down and pick it apart and see if we can respond to the objections that the problem of evil raises, I don't want to make it seem like it's not a serious problem mm -hmm. or make it seem like it's just easy mm -hmm. or those are silly objections. So these are Genuine problems. The yeah. problem of evil is serious. Yeah. Uh, the, how we reconcile the goodness and power of God, the existence and quality and kind of evil in the world mm -hmm. is really a serious problem. It's not simple. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the philosophical side, I think, again, that there are good ways of addressing the evidential problem of evil. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll, I'll take from a couple of different directions here, but um, one way to start is to, to to recognize that God probably has motives and reasons that we have no access to. Mm -hmm. That it seems obvious that conceiving of a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, mm -hmm. that God would have motives and reasons and a capacity for seeing all of the intricate pieces of the world that he's creating mm -hmm. and thinking about the outcome that he intends for world history and that we would want to admit i think that we just aren't in a place to be able to claim mm -hmm. that we know mm -hmm. when a particular instance of evil is meaningless mm -hmm. or whether it serves god's purpose or not doesn't seem like we should claim for ourselves that kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I might feel that way when it's my own child suffering yeah. or when something bad happens to me. Mm -hmm. What good could possibly come out of this? Mm -hmm. But I would also, hopefully, in a more sober moment, be able to recognize, have the kind of humility to say that I'm not in a position to know whether God has sufficient reasons for allowing the kind of evil or suffering that we actually see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one direction that I would want to take in responding to the evidential problem of evil, appealing to 
uh, epistemic humility that we don't want to claim for ourselves too much yeah. uh, uh, in, in, in terms of knowing or presuming what motives God could have for allowing any particular instance of evil. Yeah. We, we probably don't know why God might allow a particular instance of evil. God can see all of the consequences and all of the results and all of the impact generations from now. Yeah. The impact of that one event. Mm -hmm. The death of a child. Yeah. Or of a deer in the woods. Mm -hmm. And we can't see those things. Yeah. Our vision is so much more limited. limited. So what I want to do as a Christian is not just respond or think about it in a philosophical sense, but also to ask what God actually does tell us about suffering and evil. Mm -hmm. And we have the benefit of, um, of the Word of God, of the Bible as Christians, and I think the Bible does give us a good um, sense of how he's using suffering and evil in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't answer for us uh, in sort of philosophical mm -hmm. language why evil exists, why evil exists. but uh, but we do have some really good, deep lessons about suffering and evil in the Bible. Mm. Uh, and I think if I if I wanted to summarize in a sentence what the Bible's perspective about the purpose of suffering and evil is, I think I would say that uh, God uses suffering mm. as a tool for God's glory mm. and for our benefit. Okay. That's what. God is doing with suffering. God uses suffering as a tool for God's glory and for our benefit. Does this mean, I mean, does it mean that he's saying, oh, you must suffer, but in the case of the suffering, he's using it for his glory? Yeah, so coming back to the idea of free will, mm. if God knows that a certain level or amount of suffering is going to happen because some of his creatures are going Making to rebel, for example, yeah. then in a particular instance of evil, it may be simply that God is allowing the natural course of events happen because he knows that certain of his creatures are going to rebel, they're not going to obey, so certain kinds of evil are going to result, and God can use that rebellion in order to yeah. bring about his intended outcome. Yeah. We have examples of that in the Bible, like in Genesis 50, uh, where Joseph describing, you know, Joseph had been thrown in a well, yeah. sold as a slave Stay. by his own brothers, exactly, uh, and uh, you know, what horrible, awful betrayal, yeah. um, And but as a result, Joseph takes a position in Egypt, and he becomes uh, a, a ruler of, mm -hmm. of Egypt, and a high-level official, and his brothers end up having to come to him, looking for food. Yeah. Yeah. And Joseph says to his brothers as a way of consoling them, yeah. when they are now really afraid and filled with regret for what they've what done, they did, yeah. uh, Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God. Yeah, God turned it around for good. God intended that for good. Yeah. God knew that the evil that you were going to commit mm -hmm. could be turned around to be used as part of his plan. Yeah. Okay. And we see that all throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. In fact, as Christians, it is the very center of our faith that God turns around one of the, the great acts of evil in the world, the death of Jesus, yeah. is turned around for our benefit and for God's glory. Yeah. God uses even horrible injustice mm -hmm. for God's glory and for our benefit. The death of Jesus is the prime example, example. of that for us. Yeah. 
but I think we see that all throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that theme that God uses suffering and evil as a tool for God's glory and for our benefit. Mm -hmm. So, um, if, if we want, if we got time, we can take an example from Job. Mm -hmm. um, now, the example of Job is a really powerful one, mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason why Job was written, it seems, was to answer uh, questions about this. Mm -hmm. There seems to be in Job a, a, a response to a kind of theology that we can call retribution theology. Mm -hmm. A popular theology apparently in Job's day or whenever Job was written, um, and it continues to be popular in church circles today, the idea that if you do well, God will bless you, and if you do badly, God will punish you. So mm -hmm. if I see somebody who's really rich and healthy, then it means God is blessing them. And it must be that they're really good. <laughs> Uh, and if somebody is suffering or poor or they're sick, mm -hmm. then it must mean that they have sinned. Yeah. They've committed some evil to deserve that. And that's retribution theology. That um, is not true. It's really bad theology. It's, the Bible makes it really clear that what's going on is so much more complex than that. The death of Jesus itself, of course, mm -hmm. uh, should be enough to show that that's not the case. Yeah. But um, but there are still Christians who appeal to that kind of retribution theology. For a large part of um, Africa, most people believe that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're righteous enough, if you commit to God enough, then you're going to get blessed. And mm -hmm. most of the times, the result for blessing is uh, money, uh, material. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's just, it's just not the case. Yeah. Of course, you know, the Bible just gives us example after example after example of that not being the case. There's mm -hmm. something more complex going on. Yeah. That evil is a different kind of thing than just a, um, uh, a straight up direct punishment for disobedience in this life. Yeah. It's woven through the fabric of creation uh, in such a way that while this world exists in its current state, evil is inescapable. Mm -hmm. And yet God is bringing about a state eventually mm -hmm. in which evil will be no more. Evil is temporary, mm -hmm. but it's an inescapable reality yeah, right now. Right now. Yeah. Uh, it's an inescapable reality for the righteous mm -hmm. and for the unrighteous. For the righteous, yeah. So, you know, the example of Job is just that kind of example. It's an example of a really righteous man. The Bible describes Job in the kind of positive language that, that is not used for any other person in the Bible. Yeah. Like Job is blameless and upright. Yeah. He's blameless and upright. Well, uh, nobody else in the Bible is described like that. like that. Job is blameless and upright. The author wants you to know right from the beginning of the book of Job that whatever Job will experience, all of the suffering that Job will experience, it isn't Job's fault. Mm -hmm. It isn't a result of something bad that Job did. Mm -hmm. He's blameless and upright. Mm -hmm. But then we know, of course, that Job will suffer yeah. throughout the book. And that suffering starts with a confrontation between God and Satan. Yeah. Um, and Job writes, uh, the author of the book tells us that there is a, a heavenly council. It's called. Mm -hmm. yeah. God calls the angels to give account, and okay. Satan comes with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not... It's not, Satan doesn't come with them because he sneaks in with the angels and, oh, how did you get in here? <laughs> you don't sneak up on God. Yeah. That's not the point of the passage, but rather that even Satan himself, the author wants you to know, mm. has to give account to God. Mm. That God calls the angels and Satan. Mm. So Satan has to answer to God in the same way that the angels do. And so in all of that conversation between God and Satan in the book of Job, it's God who asks the questions and mm. Satan who responds. God talks, Satan Response mm -hmm. and God initiates in all of those conversations. So God says to Satan, "There, where have you come from?" Mm -hmm. And Satan has to answer from roaming around the earth, mm -hmm. going back and forth in it. 
And then it's God who puts Job on the table. As an example. Have you seen my servant? Yeah, that's right. God says to Satan about Job, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Mm -hmm. It's God who puts Job forward as an example. Yeah. And in the purpose of the book of Job is not to show how good Job is, mm -hmm. uh, but to show how good God is. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the book of Job is to teach that God is worthy of unqualified praise. God is worthy of worship. Yeah. All by himself, not because of what we get from mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. God is worthy of worship mm -hmm. as God. And Job doesn't know that this is going on. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he can't see this conversation, this contest between God and Satan going on, but it's something that God initiates. God initiates it. Job is going to be the evidence that God is worthy of worship. Yeah. And how will God show Satan and the angels and all of the people who will read about it afterwards? How will he show that God is worthy of worship? Mm. By turning around the suffering of Job for his glory and for Job's benefit. Yeah. But in order to do that, he has to allow Job to suffer. So. So um, Satan is allowed, of course, to, to, to cause Job great suffering, take mm -hmm. away all of his wealth, and even kill his family. Mm -hmm. uh, and through all of that suffering, Job proves that God is worthy of worship. Yeah. Because even when everything is taken away, he worships. Yeah. He doesn't curse God and die the way that his wife wanted him to do. That's right, even his wife tells him to. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't do that, and so... Job is evidence that God is worthy of worship. So you can see there in the book of Job, one of the lessons of evil there, one of the lessons of suffering, mm -hmm. the way that God uses suffering, he uses it as a tool for God's glory and for our benefit. Mm -hmm. We're all going to suffer, so we have an opportunity when we suffer to be used the way that Job is used as evidence of God's worship worthiness. Mm -hmm. When I am faithful, even in suffering, I am used as evidence of God's worship for them. As if God is saying to Satan about me, have you considered my servant Ryan? Mm -hmm. So suffering is complex. Yeah. It's woven throughout the fabric of creation. Yeah. And God is consistently, constantly turning it around for good, yeah. for our benefit and for his glory. Yeah. And, and um, he also is, as the New Testament clearly teaches, he's, uh, he's in the process of unweaving it. Yeah. 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 It's temporary. It's, it's very temporary. Uh, I see um, when Jesus was given this parable about whoever hears his words of mine and believe and obeys them or does whatever I command, I would liken him to someone who builds a house on a rock. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I see is both of them, I mean, the one who doesn't hear, builds a house on the sand, one builds on the rock, but they both share the same fate. Mm -hmm. The, the storm, the rains, the wind, mm -hmm. one keeps standing mm -hmm. and one collapses. Yeah. And Jesus, when he was leaving, said something about, in this world you will have tribulations, mm -hmm. but be of good cheer, I will overcome. Yeah. So one thing is certain is, evil is not permanent, it is temporary. So it, it will disappear sometime. Yeah. Sometime in the future. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're expected, we're looking forward to that day. Mm -hmm. uh, but as of now, we cannot really give a full explanation as to, I mean, like you said, it's complex. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it is complex. We want to recognize that evil is evil. We don't have to try to justify how evil is actually good. Mm -hmm. We don't have to recognize in every individual circumstance mm -hmm. how every act of evil is actually being used for good. Mm -hmm. uh, those are those are sometimes abusive yeah. moments when, yeah. you know, if I'm 
uh, trying too hard or trying to manipulate the situation or trying to console a person who's mourning by Maybe it's telling them how it's actually good. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to be good pastoral advice. Yeah. That's not you want to let evil be evil. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is evil, mm -hmm. uh, and yet it is temporary. Yeah. So there's hope. We can we can mourn, yeah. but we can mourn as people with hope. Yeah. We can lament the evil in the world, mm -hmm. uh, and we do that together with God, even who laments mm -hmm. the evil in the world. Yeah. God does not willingly bring affliction to the sons of men. Limitations three says yeah. God God mourns the evil with us, but He's using it yeah. for His own glory. Yeah, He's okay. turning it around for. For his purposes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, when I saw Jesus go to that to Lazarus, when Lazarus died, and he got them, uh, they were weeping. Mm -hmm. He was going to raise. He knew this was um, this is going to be temporary, but it was still he cried. Yeah, yeah, and that that's an important fact about evil for us as well. I think the example of Jesus. Yeah. Um, sometimes Christians are pressured to believe that they have to always be happy. Yeah, they have to have this facial expression. Uh, everything is all perfect. Yeah, you got to be victorious and, uh, and happy all the time. And that isn't the teaching of the Bible, uh, and it isn't the example of Jesus. Uh, it isn't the example of any of our heroes of the faith in the Bible. And, um, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate kind of popular perception these days. Even if it isn't an official teaching, most of the time it's something that people absorb. They think, they think that uh, you know, if I show weakness, if I show that I'm suffering, if I admit that something is hard, or that I don't understand something, or that I'm experiencing doubt, uh, or I'm experiencing disappointment with God, that somehow um, I have to hide that. Mm -hmm. And I think the Bible gives us, yeah, freedom to do that, to express that. I mean, just the Psalms, you know one. One way of reading the Psalms is to, to, to think about them in three categories. These are categories that are uh, that were coined by a, a, a theologian called Walter Brueggemann. He's a really okay. brilliant theologian. Uh, this language about the Psalms has been really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. He thinks about the Psalms in terms of uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. There are mm -hmm. some Psalms that are Psalms of orientation. Mm -hmm. They express a season of my soul when everything is going in the right direction. Yeah. And these are usually the Psalms that we sing. Psalm eight or Psalm 23, mm -hmm. that the Psalms when um, everything is uh, is going in the right direction. You can see good is good and evil is evil and you can recognize God's greatness and uh, those are the ones that we often sing as worship songs. Yeah. But our Christian experience is not always in those Psalm, Psalm 23 moments. Yeah. Uh, we also together with the psalmist, experience disorientation. Yeah, yeah. Seasons in our spiritual life uh, when it doesn't make sense, when things aren't clear, when it's not obvious why a particular thing is happening yeah. or um, where good and evil are and where God is in the midst of the situation that I'm in. David experiences and the other psalmists experience those kinds of moments. So you, you have Psalm 23, mm -hmm. the Lord is my shepherd, mm -hmm. but the psalm right before it, Psalm 22, mm -hmm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and the psalmist is free to express that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and this is, it's, it's what he feels, what he experiences. At that moment. Yeah. yeah, he's experiencing a sensation of abandonment. Yeah. Of being forsaken. Yeah. And is it sinful for him to experience that or to express it? No, obviously not. And as a Christian, I certainly hope not because... That's what Jesus says. <laughs> we are one on the cross. Yeah. 
Jesus could have said anything on the cross. Uh, and he quotes Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's lots of reasons why that is. Of course, we can read the rest of the psalm and see, um, in hindsight, what we now understand to be messianic references, references to the, yeah. the events around Jesus' death. Yeah. But, um, but it's also just what Jesus was experiencing. It's what he was feeling on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus is free to experience forsakenment, forsakenness and abandonment by God, uh, we are too. We are. So, so we experience orientation, we experience disorientation sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or Psalm 10, why do you stand far off? Mm -hmm. Why do you hide in times of trouble? Uh, sometimes we feel that way. Thankfully, we don't always feel that way. And we've got these moments or seasons of disorientation, but there's also reorientation. Mm -hmm. When uh, we experience a kind of return, things start to come back to um, a more positive perspective. We can now again see the way that God has brought us out of difficult seasons. We can again see where good and evil are and where God is in the midst of our situation. Psalm 51, which is a famous psalm of repentance, David repenting after his sin with Jesus. Or Psalm 40, talking about God bringing us up out of the, the pit. Mm -hmm. uh, we can experience moments like that yeah. too. But as Christians, I think we should feel the freedom to Amen. Yeah, and to experience all of those seasons of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. One thing we know is in all those seasons, he's not far from us. Yeah, even though we might feel that way. Yeah. And it's okay to express that you feel that way. <laughs> so one thing we pick here is this, uh, free will. I mean, love cannot happen when there is no free will. Yeah. And as long as this world we have, there will always be those who choose to oppose the will of God. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, their actions and inactions are part of what constitutes evil today. Yeah. Uh, but what we see is God. I mean, they're all of right. All of our okay. <laughs> uh, God, in the midst of all that evil, works through it for his own glory. Yeah. And for our benefit. Yeah. We can't explain in details why children die. I mean, it's painful. Yeah. We, we mourn with them. It's sad to hear so many news that goes on. I mean, even look at this pandemic that is hitting the whole world. Mm -hmm. We can't explain in detail, but what we know is through all the evil, God works for his own glory. Yeah. And it is temporary. Evil will leave. Yeah, that's right. And we're getting to that time where he says there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow. Mm -hmm. The Lord will be the light. The book of Revelation says that. Mm -hmm. We're approaching that time. But for as long as we're in this world, like when you said it's inescapable. Yeah. We can't. Whether believers, whether unbelievers, everyone will experience this special suffering. And even those who try to confess, like I've never suffered in my life, you you know you're you're, you're lying about it because truly we all go through our fair share, emotionally, yeah. physically, whichever way. But God works through it. Yeah. So um, it's not like God likes to He likes to watch His people suffer, but some of these things are also part of our own free will decisions. But through that, He works for His own glory. Mm -hmm. So don't think that God is a far off. Sometimes it feels like it. I've been through times where I just like God, where are you? I'm just like, why is it so quiet here? But some, I look back at those moments and I'm glad because he was actually there. I just didn't know. I didn't feel. So it's okay not to feel that way. But please don't think that God wants you to suffer. He's deliberately putting a gun to your head and then saying, you know what? I just like to see you suffer. We're in a very evil world. Yeah. So. Thank you so much, Ryan, for this particular episode. Um, maybe you guys want to see Ryan again. 
<laughs> we have we have so many topics actually that we're gonna do. You gotta um, say yes at this point. I mean, you're pressuring me to it now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we have another um, episode where Ryan is gonna come up again, and if it's this particular episode uh, about evil, if you have questions, you can send it directly to the page. We may want to address again. Maybe sure. if they have any other questions, we're going to address these questions and give answers to them. But I mean, we have other topics that we're going to discuss with Ryan. So you will see Ryan's face often here. Yeah. So thank you again for watching this. Share, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel, share it on Instagram, whatever you can. So this is not an appropriate time to say what up, what up, what up, right? Uh, you can say what up, what up. No, I don't <laughs> Okay, guys, what up, what up? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, so like it, subscribe, and do whatever you can. But stay blessed and stay focused on Christ. He's all that matters, and he's the only one who can give you joy and satisfaction in this world. So I'll see you again in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Bye.